Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast. We're the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And today we are talking about the Amazon series. It's not even television. We're officially unofficial for every visual wave of light and listenable audio frequency in the spectrum. Uh, this is uh, Amazon TV's or Amazon Prime's uh, Matthew Weiner series, The Romanoffs, Episode 7, End of the Line. Uh, this was directed by the Wiener, but was not written by him. It was written hmm. by uh, a husband and wife team, I'm assuming. Um, but uh, okay, I, and, and and who were the, in the process of adopting a Russian baby? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, I've, I so I, I I read a little bit of things that said that there actually there is personal experiences. I wasn't sure if there's their personal experiences or friends or family. But yeah, it's a husband and wife team. They wrote a lot of Mad Men episodes. Um, huh. What did you think of this? Uh, we talked last week about the, you know, the wiener only having about three hours to, in which to redeem himself. Uh, half of that redemption period is over. What did you think of this episode? Uh, I mean, apologies to to Matthew Weiner, but I think this was actually a much better episode than the previous two. Uh, I I found you know telling this nice tight story about a couple in Russia uh, was fairly engaging. I thought the differences they had. <laughs> In opinions uh, on the matter were, I, I don't know, at, at least enjoyable to watch uh, that whole thing shake out. And I think, you know, it. come on, it's not going to redeem the other 15 hours of this show that I've watched or whatever right. it's been. But, you know, it was it was pretty good. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. I think this is the second best Romanoffs episode other than House for a, a Special Purpose, which I still think is a pretty effective and creepy kind of horror spooky time episode of television to watch but that's not saying much because yeah i agree i think this in this material was interesting um and it was well presented and well written but i continue to find the direction in uninspiring and editing bizarre and it those things really sandbagged the, I think the best moment of the film is the you know stan rizzo and uh Catherine Hahn arguing about their perspectives on, yeah. you know, God given versus, you know, God taketh away type of, of, of philosophies of, of children. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, again, the plotting direction and bad, like, I, I feel like that should have had energy where they were interrupting each other. Like the one sentence would bleed on to the other and it would just, but it was mm -hmm. the same kind of like camera A, Stan Rizzo will earnestly say what he has to say. Camera B, Catherine will come back and say what she has to say. And with a one and a half second gap between those two takes. And I just <laughs> felt like it really sapped the energy. And there was a lot of stuff like, uh, you know, why Why does Joe, Stan Rizzo, why does Joe go after that dog? Why does Catherine have this conversation with the Russian car, car, call girl in the bar? I mean, it felt mm -hmm. like that was to pad it out to, you know, a nice hour and a half length. Like, you <laughs> could have cut those scenes and a couple others and and actually stayed a little bit more focused on the story. But, uh, you know, yeah. we, or the whiner is, I think, self-consciously trying to go for the cinematic the treatment. And some of those are these little digressions that... I mean, I know what they say about the character, right? Like, he... You know, several times they caught their caution, you know, not to smile, not to do these stupid American things, not to go walking at night. And he goes off chasing this hard luck mutt, mm -hmm. you know, 
and she is seeing the fate of Oksanya mm-hmm. if if best case scenario if if she stays here and grows up the normal she's going to be perhaps a car girl desperate to get out which probably a bigoted view, way to view Russia but that's what's presented in the episode it just yeah it, it's it, it was an average it, if you told me this is the worst episode of Romanovs before I'd been like <laughs> wow good yeah uh-huh cuz uh, cuz it's only up from here but as a second peak of the series it's pretty sad it's pretty sad no i agree with you uh i i I kept thinking there's some weird tricks that they use during that dog scene too it's like a horror film almost they use a lot of horror angles and like definite things that make you think something bad is going to happen to him yeah and i don't feel like that was intentional in that scene because i think they were much more going for the thing you're talking about which is just he desperately wants to help things you know but i think he cares (laughs) <laughs> too much yeah I, I think i think i think matthew weiner really knows how to work a camera and to do techniques and i've been comparison comparison i've been comparing him to george lucas this whole season because i think that he did a very good job telling this like hitchcock sense of suspense because like these parents like you know and it's not very often us americans are in this position where we're utterly helpless in a strange country where if we step out of line, we could be jailed or worse, and they've got our passports. And it it kind of reminded me of almost like what it would be like to be a refugee, mm-hmm. you know, to come to a strange country and you don't speak the language and everybody's mad at you and what the hell. you, you um, and, and they build this paranoia. Like every single time they do things, like just hand the woman a wad of cash and she goes off with it or yeah. ask for their passports. Like, oh, we're going to keep them until you're ready to leave. Like my alarm bells are going off. And they sell the sense of paranoia. And he does that very well. But then he throws this grace moment of Stan going after the dog and you carry all that paranoia into it. Yeah. And so it's like. I think the human side is what he's kind of struggling with. Like he's got all the intellectual there. He's got all the tools of the toolkit, but like <laughs> knowing how and when to kind of pluck our emotions and the effects of that is something that is curiously kind of it, from, from just sample size of the Romanoffs is, is a little bit beyond him. Yeah. Hey, before we get further in the episode, I just want to let you know what's going on here at baldmove.com. It's a little, little bit light this week because it's, it's Thanksgiving weekend for us Americans. But we do still have a lot of stuff coming out. Season of the Cage continues to, to the storm continues to build as we enter into Category 5 cage acting oh in God. the classic 80s vampire horror thriller, uh-huh. Vampire's Chris. Or Comedy? Chris. Maybe? Vampire's Chris. It's Vampire's Kiss. You, this, I think about 30% of the Nick Cage losing his shit clips mm-hmm. on YouTube came from this fucking movie. It's I've never seen it before. It's insane. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. And yeah. you should watch it with us. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, the fifth installment of our Super Serious Film Fest on the career of Nick Cage. There's a lot of bonus features if you're a club member. Uh, check that out on baldmove.com. Uh, we are also watching Creed 2 this week. Uh, we're excited about that. We're going to see that Tuesday night. So if you are planning on seeing it on your Thanksgiving weekend, and I know a lot of you probably are, uh, it is is going to be there in your feed for you. Uh, we're also doing a special series uh, on Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones feed for my new book, Gods of Thrones, which is now available on paperback. Uh, link will be in the show notes. We have been talking about um individual character deep dives and the themes of like religion and how it relates to the game of thrones and also starting next week we'll be starting to talk about george martin's new book that drops on the 20th fire and blood 
So come back for like a deep dive in Targaryen history. We're going to have a couple of uh, other podcast favorite guests on as well. Where do you want to start with this? Could we start with the opening scene? Yes. Because I actually like at the beginning, I was like, oh, wow, this is a really effective way to open this episode until I found out what they were actually doing with that opening scene. And then I was less impressed by it because I thought, oh, man, this tells you so much about these stupid Americans. You know, they're bringing oh, they got to have their coffee. They're bringing their coffee with them on this trip to Russia. Uh, They're bringing a bunch of chocolate bars. Shouldn't they be packing other more vital stuff? I was like, this this brilliantly tells me so much about these characters. And then later I find out it's all for bribery. I'm like, oh, well, I lose yeah. a little respect for that, yeah. that scene. Even though I still think it's good, it, it builds a kind of what the fuck is going on here feeling. I thought it was a ballsy move to for the wiener to remind us of perhaps the best uh, Mad Men episode of all time, uh, the, the suitcase. suitcase. Yeah. By putting a suitcase front and center, we're like, <laughs> it's a bold, bold, bold strategy, Cotton. Uh, fortunately, did not pay off. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I, cause like, you know, I, I was, I kind of watched this episode the first 15 minutes kind of, you know, described as eyes narrowed and arms crossed. Mm-hmm. I was pissed that mm-hmm. I'm going to have to watch another two weeks of this show. So it, it, it <laughs> did have to dig itself out of a hole and I was, you know, just kind of writing jokes and stuff and, but, but, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. I really like Joe Garner. I haven't seen him in anything since he memorably pay, played the man with the beard, Stan Rizzo, on yep. Mad Men. Comes back with an equally magnificent beard. And I found myself um, kind of liking this in spite of myself because, uh, coincidentally, one of my uncles did this exact procedure. Hmm. Um, went to, uh, about 17 years ago, went to Russia to adopt two twin boys that were infants and has brought brought them back to the United States, and they had a variety of medical and social issues, and um, it was like a real bittersweet story. It's exactly like this. Like him and his wife were in their mid forties, and had tried to conceive, and um, and a lot of it tracked very true with the thought process, with um, you know, like the fears overcome, you know, the fears and the desires, kind of like wrestling, because like they're not yeah. stupid. These people weren't presented as stupid people no these people are presented as like desperate mm-hmm. um in that in, in but in a kind of a weird like like usually when i say people are desperate it's like uh you know they're they're dying mm-hmm. right or someone they loved has been kidnapped but here it's like the potential of someone to love has been kidnapped you know, like the, the, okay. the dream of having that child it's like that being stolen is a weird kind of like an almost Almost as bad, if not worse, because it's the perfect hypothetical child that you could have had, not the actual shitty <laughs> right. kid that you have that has, you know, talks back to you. The, you know, it's uh-huh. like it's it's that. It's like I and I I, I kind of bought that, but it it is it, it. Did you feel any like the tension between you know obviously these people that are you know not as well well? Did you also get the 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 fact that um the these people are related to the lady from the last? I did, yeah. When they mentioned Victoria and her hemophiliac son, yeah, and, and yeah. they have like, an, and they have all the money in the world to deal with the problem, right? Um, but there is this kind of interesting where they're in this place that's portrayed as like just really desperate and dreary and poor, and people are just desperate to get out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are these Americans who are well enough off that they can front fifty thousand dollars and fly to Russia and and take like a week off for this process. Like they're all from any other part of the world. You'd say they're in from a place of privilege. It's this weird 
kind of I don't know sneering and that that all was that's super interesting when it came to a head about the actual baby itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I it's it's a weird little like an art house film that doesn't su- feel super connected to the Romanovs at all. No, and I guess um, you know when an episode of the Romanovs is let's say above average mm-hmm. uh, for this show. I don't think about it so much. And I don't care about it so much, but when you're kind of letting me down in other regards, I'm looking for those connections and saying, does this live up to the promise of the series? Uh, this one, I got more distracted by the story. And so I would, I didn't care so much about it um, being like this really firm connection to the Romanovs. Yeah. And you know, they, they had that weird thing. Like, so we, I think you and I both agree that the best part of it is uh, their debate about, yeah. you know, to what links are they willing to to sacrifice or, or give up to be a parent? And I thought it was interesting that that Joe was very adamant about like we came here for a baby and you don't get to choose what you're given. Like it's almost like he was um you know, he 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 saw this as exactly the same as you give birth to a child and you find out it has a birth <laughs> defect or medical condition and you're stuck with it and she's like uh-huh. What about this process doesn't feel transactional to you? Yeah. And I kind of saw I kind of saw from both sides. And both sides have their own kind of like naivete and 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 equal parts like utilitarian horror. Um For sure. Uh but but I, I think he, they both lead to an inevitably bad outcome. Mm. Like I I look at the the logical arguments they're making, right? And and I extrapolate those and I say, "Okay, well, if everybody were like Joe, uh, this is most definitely not just a luck of the draw, God-given kind of thing. There are people behind this making decisions, even if you're not. And making what, money. Right, Lots and, of money. and making a lot of money off this. What is to stop them from simply taking all of the babies who they know have developmental problems or illnesses or any other kind of thing and just passing them off to desperate people? Mm-hmm. That's the logical outcome of the Joe perspective here. The logical outcome of... What is her name? An, An- Anka. Anka, yeah, Anka. Yeah. Um, the logical outcome of her perspective is, well, we're only going to take the best babies, and all of the babies with any kind of problem whatsoever are going to die in the gutter. Yeah, it's going to live in hell world here. Right. So neither one of these outcomes is stellar uh, if you extrapolate and say, well, let's take it to the extreme here. I And I think that always makes for the best argument. You know, when mm-hmm. when you're simply arguing like, which which of these two bad outcomes, I guess, but it's more of an emotional thing or like a philosophical thing, less of a, Hey, I can prove that this, this is objectively better or worse. Yeah. And then you can also just appeal to the systemic side of it, which is like, whatever decision we make is kind of a purely arbitrary one, because the problem is that you have these massive state run orphanages that are full of undesired children. Yeah. Like, can we attack the supply side of that? And how, right. What are the attitudes? What are the problems? What are the, or the economic and social um, pr- pressures in Russia that are forcing these these mothers and fathers into these situations where they have to give up their children. Mm-hmm. Um, why are so many children? You know, if there if it is in, indeed there's more children born with like defects and disease and problems, why is that? Like, can we fix those problems? Like, it, it, it's one of those things where you know when you find out, like if you decide you want to go green in your life. 
and you're like, I'm going to replace all my light bulbs with LEDs and I'm going to get an electric car. And you look at like personal consumption versus industrial and agricultural consumption. And you think mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, drop in the I saved a drop out of the thimble. That's my share. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, these guys are throwing 500 gallon buckets of water and, and energy out the window. It's, it's oh, that situation where, you know, Anka is like, I us taking home this potentially shitty baby is not going to change the actual al- uh, the the actual mm-hmm. calculus here. Do do you think that actually won over Joe? No, I I man, the end of this episode yeah. is is a bummer cuz this couple is not going to last 6 months and they're taking home a baby that is going to have, you know, divorced parents here. Like huh. I mean they're not they're look Joe found out something fundamental about his wife in mm-hmm. this episode, and he cannot ignore that. And I think the final look that he gives the camera is saying everything you need to know about the future of this couple. Interesting, because I took that as him, like, like I, 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 just, I saw this as him kind of waking up to the fact that he has this beautiful baby daughter, but he's going to be haunted by the real Oksanya. And like how shady it looks like the, hmm. the like the, how shady it, it everything about the process was so shady at the end. In fact, I was like thought that one of the swerves was going to be when they had to swear to adopt this Oxanya that they were going to like pull a reverse switcheroo at the orphanage. Like, well, you yeah, yeah, yeah. you didn't. What are you going to do? Go back to judge and say no? I don't. I want this. Isn't the right baby? What? Yeah, yeah. You're going to go home with nothing, and you're fifty thousand. But that didn't actually happen. It's more no. like the 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 agency just wants an American to take a fucking baby. Yeah. Like they're gonna try to sell him a lemon, but if they, <laughs> which is a horrible thing to say about a baby, we no. Know. And he's like, he's we like, know. just got this beautiful, healthy girl, and yeah. now his 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 wife is happy. And I think certainly there's some of what you said in there, but the overwhelming is more of like, my God, I have this other kind of daughter, and how do you ever stop hmm. thinking about that? Like every birthday that you have, with this do you think about all not just her, but like she, this one that you put back on the shelf is like emblematic of. All the ones that are sitting there on on the shelf, they're never going to sure. get adopted and are going to turn into call girls and yeah, Russian mafia. And that's the only two like it's that's the two career paths in Russia. Is I I understand as American, yeah, you become a you 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 join the Russian mafia or you become a escort and aspire to be a Russian bride. That's the only two or ways you go into go. the military, which I think is part of the Russian mafia, right? <laughs> yeah, and they train you to be you uh, they train you to be sparrows, which are essentially spy call girls. So yeah. it's it's just a it's just a <laughs> it's variation just on killing and sex. That's all they do over there. Come on, <laughs> and fight bears. Well, I, I don't know because uh, I, I look at that argument that they have, yeah, uh, in the episode and. Joe is clearly taken aback by, I, I think her name is Anka, yes. uh, by her view on being a parent and which child they get, right? He is, I think in that in that scene, their relationship is fundamentally changed. And when they get home, Joe starts thinking about, well, if if she feels this way about this thing, in this particular portion of our lives, what does she feel about other things that she's simply not telling me, you know, because he's right. Like she lied to him the entire time. She didn't want a baby. She wanted a very specific idea of a baby. And I think that's like, Joe just looks at that and he goes, I don't know who you are anymore. Yeah. I mean, someone, uh, I, I saw, cause I had a bunch, you know, I took all my notes in this before I started doing the feedback like I always do. And I was surprised by some people that sent in feedback along the lines of, um, 
it was unbelievable that a couple would get this far into an adoption process without having these kind of like basic talks about children and whatnot. But like, hmm. I don't know because I feel like it would be pretty easy. It's like boiling the frog. You sit up and like, Hey, we both want kids. Oh, there's a problem. You know, and you don't find that out. Like usually doctors will say, well, just try fucking for a year before we even worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you come back a year later and it's sperm tests and it's this and that. And all one of you is infertile. So you try, but you can for this expensive, you can still and it every little every like if you at the beginning, you're like, OK, do you want kids? Do you also have kids. OK, the way we're going to have kids is we're going to go fly to Russia and we're going to adopt one of them from these nightmare agencies. Most people be like, no, fuck that. Maybe we'll just try not having kids. But it's not. It's this long chain of in, of, of individually defensible decisions. Like, oh, let's try in, in, in vitro. Everyone does that. Or let's like try local adoptions. Or let's try – like every single one seems sane from the last position. But when you look at it from the end, like now it's like what we're going to do is we're going to adopt a baby from Russia with severe physical and developmental problems. Mm-hmm. And how many people would willingly become parents if that was the thing? And I think Stan is seeing it from the end of that bridge. And for whatever reason, Anka like has an out of body moment where she can see herself at the beginning of that journey and like screaming, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And I think it also plays into the, the hypothetical nature of it too, right? Like yeah. you said earlier, um, it's a very different thing to consider, oh, well, we're going to have this child and maybe, you know. Maybe it'll have some problems, but I'll love it unconditionally anyway. Yeah. Versus the reality of here's this baby in your hands. And you're, you're seeing, going, yeah. You're you're seeing it for the first time. It's not reacting to you. It's like this is your future. Yeah. This is everything that the next eighteen years of your life, yeah. or possibly a lot more, is going to be. There's a very a very big difference between those two: the hypothetical and the reality. Yeah. Right. And I think like even if you get to the pot, the frog being boiled alive in the pot. <laughs> part of this and and you hit that final reality where it does become real right there's that's the big jumping off point where it's like okay you you are actually making the decision mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. it's it's easy to sit in the comfort of your la home talking to your spouse about oh yeah wouldn't it be great to adopt the russian baby i can continue the line you could get yeah you know we could get this child together very different when you're confronted with it in reality yeah, and there's like also this phenomenon where you get long in these processes where you're chasing each other's dream and it's like, you know, been longer and harder than you thought, but like and the, maybe the one partner's had doubts all the time, but like mm-hmm. geez, look at how happy he or she is. I guess, you know, like at what point at what point do your like needs and concerns and worries override the dream of your partners? Like those are like yeah. you know, that's why it's important to be kind of like try to get as much of that shit hashed out at the beginning as you can before you like you know each phase of the relationship gets deeper like right get all that shit fixed and figured out or i but i yeah i i thought that felt pretty realistic Mm -hmm. and man if this thing was directed with some like some some gumption and passion and edited tight like that would have been an explosive like you just sit on the couch sweaty and panting because of like the just emotional (laughs) intensity and rawness you saw but I yeah I also thought like the fight did get a little unfair. I was kind of like um, at the beginning like well you know these people are are expressing very strong opinions and doing this and that. But uh, towards the end of the the line where he's essentially saying that she's rejecting God and he, she's essentially saying well you love being a martyr. That's when it kind of gotten into uh, you know a <laughs> little, little crazy town. I guess I don't know enough about these characters to 
say whether that was a fair characterization of them. Um, I don't think it, any... it seems like it. I mean, Joe, I, I I don't know. Joe is definitely a guy who cares a lot, perhaps too much um, about certain things. Uh, I guess where I come down on it is probably more on Anka's side. Hmm. Like I, I look at it and I go, yeah, this is a transaction and you like, this is like buying a used car. <laughs> You well, don't want to get fucked here. When I'm when I say fight fair, I don't mean that like she's being literally inaccurate. I just think that anytime someone is saying, "Well, you're doing this because you love the attention," mm-hmm. that's a pretty shitty thing to say. Like, how the fuck do you determine the people that are just doing it for attention versus the ones that actually have a very sincere belief that this is the right way to do it? Sure. And yeah. I think one of the evidences that is genuine is when you are staring down the barrel of a uh a bad baby the bad baby barrel this is a ridiculous thing to talk about the morality and ethics of can we acknowledge that it's very squicky and i'm like again i've got relatives that have done this and you know i i i very much sympathize and empathize with people that might be in this position i'm just talking about the way it's presented on the show Mm -hmm. um if someone's staring down that bad baby barrel and says yes give me that baby I don't think it's probably f- because they're looking forward to the attention they're going to get. It's because no. they've had this, like, they, they kind of, you know, it's it's the way evolution works, man. You f- you see this kid, you fall in love with it, and you want to protect it. And it's like, it's kind of an instant kind of bonding thing. So, But at the same time, I think he's also a little bit of a sucker. Like, they're clearly trying to push off the bad babies on... But- so uh, the unsuspecting Americans. So here's you know? the thing. And I think they do something. This is, again, where I think the script is clever. They have a couple of fake out moments where. If if Anka had had her way, they would have fled that scene with zero baby, zero healthy, happy baby. Yeah. So like, yes, he might be a sucker. But what was the evidence? Like it's it's this weird this this transactional cash quasi gray baby market mm-hmm. seems like it's a real problem there because they're not allowed to consult with a doctor. It'd be one thing if they could be like, Hey, what's this doc? What's this baby's diagnosis? What's going on? And like, Oh, well it's maybe has a little bit of fetal alcohol uh, syndrome, but with good nutrition and proper this and that it's as perfect chance of be like, they don't get any kind of actual information and information yeah. they get is bullshit. Mm-hmm. So like if Stan's a sucker, then what is she? Because she got foiled she foiled her plan to escape a Russian death camp by almost dodging her good baby bullet. Mm-hmm. So it's like how I mean, it, it's weird to say, like, well, Sansa stands a sucker. If you can also you'd have to say that she's unreasonably paranoid or maybe that's what a reasonable person does. They avoid the best possible outcome because the <laughs> likely avoid out, the worst, possible the, the, outcome, which yeah. might be more likely in this environment. Yeah. But I, I think almost certainly is more unlo- is more likely in this environment, which is why I kind of side with her in this, mm-hmm. because there are it's not like, you know, luck of the draw raffle uh, via God or whatever you want to attribute babies to. Yeah, uh, it's people behind the scenes, pulling strings, picking and choosing, making the decision for you. Mm-hmm. That's where I come down on it. It's like, look, if this was a, a lottery system and you got whatever baby you were put with a lot like birth, like natural birth. Yeah. Sure. Like, take the baby you're given and be happy about it. This isn't very much not that. Yeah, and there's, like, it's it's also just very coercive because I... 
I came to appreciate, and this not might not be true because I'm 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 uh this is just a this is just a thing I got from watching the episode um that I got a lot in in this in the third act a lot of things I started to recontextualize once I became aware that this Russian woman has been lying and doing a lot of sales and marketing of these babies that a lot of things are saying um about like well just don't go out at this safe neighborhood but don't go out at night stay in your hotel room and don't go out is designed to keep these parents from talking to each other because oh right gotcha yeah like like they're they're playing on the americans kind of ignorance and fear of these these uh this this culture that's not like us and russian culture is pretty different from us Mm -hmm. like you know uh, american culture is all about smiling and putting on this mask of pleasantness where in russia and i think this is a true fact that if you're just smiling on a street corner, people are going to assume you're touched in the head. <laughs> yeah, you're like, crazy. like if you're holding a puppy sure. smiling, they get that. You you're, you see children playing and you smile like Russians aren't dead inside. They understand. But like, why would you have resting idiot face is what they would look at it. And that's like, huh. whereas a Russian walking around in New York City would be seen as a very dour, imposing person, even though they might be like inside, like perfectly content and happy it's like a real this this really weird like cultural thing but they're taking advantage of americans ignorance and prejudices to like be afraid stay in your hotel or this all could go pear-shaped you get thrown into a gulag or you know they throw your baby into a wood chipper and what the fuck are you going to do we got your visas Mm -hmm. but shit i mean god damn that whole process seems so exploitative like it I would never gotten that far because the second they asked for my pass to take my passports, <laughs> I'd be like, fuck, you no. Uh-huh. that passport doesn't leave my site because this is how you get slave traded. Yeah, this is like Look, my passport is strapped to my nutsack. So if you want to try and take it, right, let's you, go. You're going to have to rip it off. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> right. have ever done that. And it's just and, and everything that they did. So, like, from the jump, I was super uncomfortable and thinking these people are going to be, yeah. you know, slave traded or sex traded or like the, the, the reveal is going to be Anka is in a brothel at the end and Sam's in a ditch or, or Joe's in a ditch. Um, but, yeah, so the episode did a lot of things right. It just was, I, I think, really let down on the production level of it. Cause well, uh, let's talk about one scene that I thought was awkward and stilted as fuck. Okay. It was the scene where essentially it felt like they wanted to shoehorn in, oh, yeah, and Russia hates the gays, by the way. Right. Because uh, she's talking to this person and she brings up, oh, yeah, that that gay woman or, or whatever it was. And she's like, oh, yeah, not not in Russia. You're not allowed to adopt if you're homosexual. It's like... Why is that in there? Well, so you're, you know what's interesting? You're right, because I actually wrote in my notes that um, when they started having a fight, like, I think what's going to happen is they're going to split up and she's going to leave him and fly back and he's going to try to go through this adoption. He gets at the end and they won't let a single man adopt a baby because they presume he's gay. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. But yeah, you're right. It's just it doesn't go anywhere. It's just like to say, her, her. The, look how evil the Russians are. They don't it, allow homosexuals to adopt. Which I get it. That's fucked. But is that va- yeah? Why that, put that in this episode? I don't know. Because like we, the Wiener thinks he's making this for a much more centrist. <laughs> like like I think everyone, anyone that's like center to left of U.S. politics, which is ninety percent of the show, surely's audience knows that the Russians don't like are, are, right. are pretty homophobic and 
not very not 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 very free when it comes to that thing no and if you're gonna say something about it fucking say something about it just don't just throw it into the episode as a non sequitur yeah and also the like the whole political backdrop of this is like you cannot do this right now Mm -hmm. or maybe you can in like a black market kind of way maybe that's what (laughs) it's showing because of the magnitsky act like that we've put restrictions on the soviet union for for them for them killing killing people politically killing people Mm -hmm. and in retaliation they say that americans can no longer adopt their hard luck baby cases so it was also weird to have this kind of whole backdrop and not yeah like there's this weird like like, uh, kind of drive-by political commentary but um i don't know like especially after last episode where this guy was wanting to weave the entire political struggle of central america into every fucking passing moment he had mm-hmm. i mean i guess who would be the voice of that though because yeah. the americans are very very mercenary in what they're wanting the russians are obviously very mercenary in what they're providing so like who would be the one to you know, be smoking a cigarette and looking at the hotel window and thinking about, oh, my God, how far we've all fallen. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, before we get the feedback, I want to tell you about the club, a club.baldmove.com. And something exciting is happening to the club starting this Black Friday, uh, November 23rd. We are going to be having 25% off our annual memberships to the club. What a deal. You can get a quarter of the year for free. And that sale is going to last from... Uh, the 23rd all the way to the 1st of January, the whole month of December, all Christmas, because we're doing this big holiday extravaganza. It's the biggest, most epic thing we've ever done, and we've done some big epic things. And the awesome thing about signing up for the club is you get all the back content. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go through like a badass Christmas, our uh, very Keaton, what was it, the our Mary <laughs> McCulkin Keaton Christmas of last year? Do you want to see the time where I shit my or I, I prank shit my aunt's sink in the thrilling game of Cachet La Vue? Uh, all those are back in the archives, and they're all tagged with um, like the Xmas tags, so you can all navigate. You get like four or five years worth of solid Christmas content. How about the year we put up the booze tree? Yep, where we hung miniature vials of uh, airline sized vials of booze all over the Christmas tree that Jim and I never drank before. And we randomly picked one and drank them on camera and then sang a Christmas lyric limerick. There's some crazy, crazy shit out there. You can get it for 25% off. If you've never joined before, what a deal go to club.baldmove.com starting this Friday to get 25% off your annual membership. Okay, if you want to send feedback, you can do so at tv at baldmove.com. Or, again, we have a thread on the Romanovs uh, for the final episode because next time, if you don't get it in by, say, 11 a.m. Monday morning, the, the, the Romanovs archive is slamming shut. Yeah. And the Romanovs uh, coverage mobile is squealing its really? tires into you're, the darkness and dust. You're not or, in for a season two? Nope, nope. <laughs> if there would be a season two, I would be the opposite of in. I'd be out. Yeah, I'm going to say there out. probably isn't going to be a season two. So yeah, there is not going to be a wrap-up podcast for this. We are just going to take our tints and roll them up and steal off into the night. Uh, Genuine Kim's first up. Episode thoughts. Overall, I really liked the episode, but again, the barely mention her connection to the Romanoffs, and it's almost awkwardly underplayed. I'm confused by this since it's the name of the show. The most interesting scene is the argument that ensued from the realization that baby Oksana may be disabled. The argument of what's right and what's moral was compelling and real, but disappears the next day when Joe gives up his stand to accept what God gives him. I guess what he accepted was that God gave him a cold bitch of a wife that paid 50k <laughs> for perfect baby. I could only hope that Karma felt uh, what Karma felt like with this one. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of started to talk about that in the episode, and I'm glad that Kim here brought it up. I wasn't sure. It was such a such an awkward thing because it it felt like that. Ox, Ox, Anka decided to change her mind to be with Joe. Like they, they there was an ultimatum given, and she picked it up, and they both mm-hmm. got under suits. They both went to the court. They both went and started like you know, they're they're gearing up to go meet the judge, and then she just blurts out, and then now at a gut check moment for him, I guess it's the gut check moment. He sides with her. But yeah, it seems like it. Is it? Well, but why? Um, because I felt like the way the episode was going, he would have been like, "Well, then, no, I want like this would have been an irre- irreconcilable difference." Uh, but but it didn't. I I don't know. There's something false about the emotional beat at the end of this for me. Yeah, I I guess I can see that. Even from my perspective of this relationship is over, they just don't know it yet, or they know it, they're just not willing to admit it yet. Mm-hmm. Um. It does seem like Joe acquiesces, essentially, to her wishes. Although, I think that Joe and Anka go to the home, the children's home, prepared to say no. I think I think that's where Joe acquiesces, is he's willing, at that point, to just go in there and say, we're not getting this baby. Because I don't... I, I didn't read that scene as, oh, she suddenly has this outburst and says, no, I can't take this baby. I read it as that's what they came there to do. Huh. Okay. Cause it felt like they, it felt like they were going through the motions towards, but there was no, there was no follow up conversation. Right. And right. you know, like when he dropped, when he threw down the like, well, if you do this, then we're over kind of gauntlet, which he did drop. Right. I, I think he, he threw it out there. <laughs> he was like, Hey, uh, I'm going to float this idea. If we don't go home with a baby, it's over. And then she says no, but they get a new, a new, better baby, and he's suddenly like okay enough to go through with it. Well, but that's the thing. It's because the the thing that so they had the argument. And he walks, he storms out. Mm-hmm. So he goes on the long dog yeah. walk, which maybe you could say introduces him to the idea that maybe not everyone can be saved, and okay. maybe the world's not like. But that's a pretty strained reading. Yeah, it's a stretch. But she has the. She has a realization that this is what, like, this is like a best case scenario for women in Oksana's position that don't get adopted, you know. And mm-hmm. if Oksana does have some kind of disability, then, uh, you know, it's going to be, and like, that kind of like shocked her out of her uh, privileged read of the situation. So, like, then when, when Joe comes back, she pulls the move or she pretends to be asleep. Because I thought, well, maybe like after a sleepless night, that they would have another like morning conversation where they'd have a, you know, they had the they had a thesis, antithesis, now a synthesis of what their actual course of action was going to do. But they didn't. So I know, I, I guess I thought that they were going that she had kind of like, okay, well, I guess guess you're right. But I don't know because there's also the the line that he's got. You know, he he very much backs her up in that scene. He does. Um, there he's is like, a... look, she said no. She has every right to say no that's that's the end of the story but here's the thing i feel like he was kind of shocked and dismayed by the way the russians were playing it like if those i think if those russians had played a little bit more instead of like outraged and like angry more Uh just like yeah people do this all the time to these kids you know they come over here and like you're exactly what we expect yeah (laughs) yeah you want you 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 want the best babies and if you if 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 there's even a question there's no you know like like they probably could have guilted joe into it yeah yeah but like the fact that they were being like bullies to his wife Mm -hmm. 
I, I felt like because the first 30 seconds of that he's kind of like covered his face like oh my god I can't believe this is happening this sounds so gross but then yeah the Russian women matched her at her level of grossness <laughs> and it, it felt very much like haggling over an undercoat yeah uh, no, coverage in a used car lot absolutely like well, I pulled the Carfax in this baby and it's been in uh, it's been it's a flood yeah, baby it's got a salvage title fuck <laughs> this baby fuck? this baby's been rebuilt yeah uh, <laughs> not with OEM components it's it's weird. It's weird. Um, all right, let's continue on to Dan from Manchester. Finally, an episode of the Romanoffs that delivers on the promise of what the Wiener achieved in Mad Men. It is. It could be too late, but I'd love to see him tie this uh, series up nicely. Interesting that this is the, only one of the two that Wiener had no writing credit for. I do think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Dialogue noticeably better, not shot noticeably better, but it, it did have a bit of a crackle. And still a, a clunky scene with a point we want to make, so we'll shoehorn it in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a connection between every episode. The episode was a reference to the mother and a child in the previous one, so it's possible that it could tie up nicely. I've noticed that the brief plot summary for the last episode is a man travels the world escaping the curse of his heritage would be a mm. nice way to conclude if he perhaps visits all the previous characters and discusses their heritage and how it's affected them. It's going to be Corey Stoll, and he's going to murder <laughs> all of the Romanovs. Through the family, he had yeah. a taste. He had a taste that, that he almost got like a, like and it's an itch that he can't scratch until he until he strikes a Romanoff. So, hmm. uh, yeah, or maybe he's only going to hunt the Romanoff adjacents, the Roman OFFs, mm. the off-brand Romanoffs. All right, so he's going to come back for like his ex-wife. She's not a real Romanoff. He, she he, married in. He gets on like. Uh, <laughs> ancestry.com he finds out who the real romanovs are uh-huh. and starts killing the ones who aren't right but are claiming to be right uh mm-hmm. let's see after so he said yeah he concludes that he has an hour and a half left to win back her fate i i think it's dude there is no there is sailed. nothing that can happen next week that would make this anything other than a creative failure like that's like um hmm. creative failure I, I like. I think that's the base. Um, now we're debating on what adjectives modify that. Is it going to be a misguided? Is it going to be worthy? Is it going to be uh, ill-conceived? Like these are the mod. We're arguing. Like my base thing is this is a creative failure. It's it's what kind of merit do I want to give to its intentions and mm-hmm. its goals? And there is a way. Like Corey Stoll murdering all of the Romanov characters in some kind of glorious gor- glorious revenge arc that. <laughs> that would almost do it. I would say then it's a worthy creative failure or ambitious creative failure. Uh, but if it's more of this pointless navel gazing with bad editing and direction, then it's going to be ill-conceived. Teresa from Concord with her final email says, having watched four episodes, I'm wondering if Mad Men was great despite Wiener. Was someone else responsible for the great stories, dialogue, and acting, The and Matthew Weiner grabbed the credit? All I know is Romanoffs is not working, and I'm now off the Weiner train. This, is this a, is this a reactionary conversation to have? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think, look, they tell people to write what they know for a reason. Uh, I feel like Matthew Weiner very much, Matthew Weiner, sorry, Mr. Weiner, uh, <laughs> very much understands the era that he was writing about in Mad Men and the the people that he was writing about in Mad Men. Right. Something that's per, like perennial fascinating for him. Yeah. This one is really a big stretch because he's writing about a whole world of different people, right? And 
and to think that you can nail every single one of those uh i i think is is a tough it's a big ask uh, so I'm not willing to say like, oh, Matthew Weiner must have had nothing to do with the success of Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm simply willing to say that as a follow up, this this is not impressive, and whatever he does next, he better be closer to the subject material, uh, the subject matter. He better be uh, more adept at telling the stories he's trying to tell, or we're gonna have to start having that conversation. I'm actually surprised that this is the project he came back with because it does mm. feel like if he was burning to say these eight, these seven things, <laughs> I cannot believe how fucking banal and yeah. uninteresting they are to say and not particularly artistic or has any kind of real merit. They're at best kind of like these like uh, readers digest slice of life stories that kind of play. Yeah. As it, and they feel very stagey. Like if he had taken one of these and worked it into like a three-person show on Broadway, I could see like this particular episode. You cast or write two leads, and you have one impassive uh, Russian woman as kind of the foil, and it's very minimalist. I could see it being pretty good, actually, pretty mm-hmm. gripping to watch. Um, people tear into each other emotionally over these kind of issues and the fear, but like. I yeah I it a, as it is yeah I I bad, mean bad baby barrel now playing on Broadway <laughs> right and I, I also think that like if if Matthew Weiner wasn't integral to the success of Mad Men we would have heard it by now yeah I like, mean that like I've heard several people state like talk about how hard he worked on the show and on every like from the writing room to being on set to being in the editing bay to get it just right and being and so like. I I just I think that he needs maybe more of a creative village to to because he doesn't generate enough really great ideas himself. Maybe, maybe I, so, I don't know. I'm just not ready to have the conversation. Hey, Matthew Weiner had nothing to do with Mad Men's success yet. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of, it's like a weird. It's a reverse Lindelof, right? Like sure. you know, Lindelof yeah. had loss, which was. You know, to to risk ripping open an old wound uh, was was seen in the end to be kind of like a mixed bag. It's like great creatively, visionary, it's wonderful directing and writing, but it didn't all quite come together. And then he comes back with leftovers, which I think is some of the finest television you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The, the Matthew Weiner's in the, the opposite. He told this very complex and nuanced tale that had mostly, I think, I think the preponderance of people say it had a pretty satisfying conclusion, and and he stuck to land. And he came back with a sophomore effort that's just what mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I man, I if I thought the we if I thought that I, I thought that if this thing failed, it would be like a wow, wow kind of failure, like a like a like a man Nick Cage Mandy kind of failure. Not uh, if you want to call Mandy a failure, um, not like a just wow. Uh, people give up halfway walk- through watching it. Yeah, it'd be a train wreck, maybe, but boring. I didn't see that coming. Nope. All right. That's it. TV at baldmove.com uh, or forums.baldmove.com for our Romanoff's thread. If you'd like to send us feedback, we're going to be back to wrap this thing up. See what what adjective we're going to hang in front of the creative failure that has so far been the Romanoff's enormous, enormous. <laughs> no <laughs> career altering <laughs> oh, world ending world ending uh amazon bankrupting <laughs> we'll be back next week until then i'm aaron i'm jim see ya <laughs>